So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's up, everyone? I've got Bill with Iron Will Broadheads on the mic with me today. Uh, Bill, uh, well, Bill and I have done a bunch of different podcasts. I did one recently with Tim Gillingham, which pissed all kinds of people off, Bill being one of them. Maybe not pissed, but (laughs) Bill had some things to say back. Either way, it's always good to get Bill on the podcast, so thanks for hopping on. Yeah, Aaron, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you know, Tim... I like Tim a lot, actually. I think he's got, he's a wealth of knowledge, um, but he's just so biased on fast, light, mechanical that, um, man, I, I just thought uh, given the other side of the story was, was definitely needed after that. In the, in the spirit of um, whenever uh, honesty here, I do so many podcasts. I don't remember them. Um, and when I say I don't remember them, like it's getting really bad now. I, I don't. I could not. So I had three, no, four, four other, no, three other, including you, four other outdoor manufacturers uh, texting me, but I could not remember uh, what exactly was said in the podcast or, um, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I do remember at one point, I think anyway, uh, I got bad enough where Tim, I had to kind of say, Hey man, iron will makes a good broadhead to tone it down. Uh, so if I do remember that it had to have been fairly bad. I think I said something like that. Yeah, you did. He, he said six blade broadheads have no redeeming value. And I know he feels that way. Cause the first time I met Tim, it's probably been five years ago at ATA. I spent probably 40 minutes trying to get him to say that there was some situation where a fixed blade broadhead would be better than a mechanical. I couldn't get him to do it. You know, he is, uh, is, and then I had to really think, and I've talked to him, you know, each year since, um, quite a few times. And, you know, I really like, I like talking to him. It's good to get his perspective. I think he's a wealth of knowledge on bow tuning, on long range shooting, but uh, you got to understand where it comes from. Um, you know, unmarked 3d target archery is, is his life, you know, it's his livelihood his decisions are all based on that really. Um, you know, he, he likes hunting, he's a hunter, but I'd say it's like a hundred to one that he's choosing things that make him a better um, 3d target archer. And so what that means would be, you know, as fast as possible, um, minimal drag. Um, so you just maintain that speed and, and really penetration doesn't matter on a, on a 3d target, right? You just got to hit the right spot. So, so I'm going to, um, I'm going inter- to, I'm not saying you can't L- let me dive in a little bit more. Not, and I'm not, I'm friends with Tim as well. Tim has a very long draw length. Um, and it kind of puts him in his own world as far as, uh, no matter, even his light arrows are relatively heavy because of his draw length and, the, the the portion of this, and I actually have Travis T-Bone on tomorrow to talk about this a little bit more because of the amount of feedback not all being good from this podcast, like what Bill's talking about right now. Um, leaving Tim out of some of this, when I say that meaning, let's just pretend for a second we didn't do this podcast. And, and, and you know me and I know you as far as obviously you're more of a fixed blade guy. I'm more in the middle. I like shooting a mechanical out of a compound, but it does not always fit the bill. So if I'm going to bill it with iron will, what redeeming factors would you say are on a mechanical over potentially a a fixed blade? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's plus and minuses both and it's just, I think people should just understand what they are. And so, you know, if, if you've got, uh, set up for target archery with small veins to minimize drag and get maximum speed. Um, it's not a very forgiving setup. And a guy like Tim with great form is going to, you know, he can, he can manage that. Um, right. But um, a fixed blade broadhead is going to be less forgiving. And, and what that means is if the broadhead or if the arrow isn't going straight, let's say your bow's not tuned perfectly or your, you torque your bow or whatever. So that arrow gets tipped a little right, left, up or down. Now, um, if you've got a fixed plate on the front, that, that more surface area is going to cause 
some pressure across it and some force that's going to want to push it off track. So with that, having um, small, say, small target veins on the back and going very fast, um, it's going to push it more off target than a field point or than a mechanical that's got less surface area. So, you know, to account for that, um, you have to have more vein on the back. Um, but with more vein on the back, it can be just, just as stable as, say, a mechanical with a smaller target vein and bring and steer it back on. So, I mean, but that's the, that's the negatives really of a fixed head. Um, primarily there's, there could be a little more drag, um, at distance. It's fairly small. I mean, depending, unless you're shooting a really, really wide, um, fixed blade, but there can be a little difference in drag at distance. Um, that a little bit more drag can also mean a little bit more wind drift, but, um, these are, you know, less than 10% type numbers, pretty small differences there. Uh, what's more so though is it's important to have your bow relatively well tuned. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I did a study with the University of Colorado where we would take bows out of tune and with fixed blade broadheads, you know, we're using like the iron wheel S125 and a number of different veins. That bow can be really pretty far out of tune and still have fixed blade heads hit with field points, um, you know, really well at moderate distances. Um, and if you're in tune, it can, they can shoot really well to, you know, hundred yards plus also. Okay. So with what you're saying, and, and again, I, um, we'll bounce back and forth a little bit on the Tim thing, but what I really want to get out of this because of what Tim somewhat stirred up a little bit was, uh, or Tim and I, um, there when, when, and I, I went and I, I filmed a bunch of long distance shots. I was shooting your broadheads, cutthroats, uh, some Magnus stingers, a few other ones, um, at, at longer distances. Generally I can get 80 to 90, uh, to group with my field tips after that wind drag, they will be a little bit low, but you know, it's, it's doable. The, the thing that where I, I feel people get in big trouble, including me years ago was what you talked about, small vein. And then fixed blade right in the front where they're they're they have this idea and I get it, but you know, the parachuting or they're not, they're not going to be able to shoot as far because, uh, you know, with a bigger vein, they want less wind drift and drag. So they shoot a smaller vein. They may not be quite as, uh, up to speed on tuning. And then they're trying to tune that fixed blade um, with very small veins, which you just talked about. So, you know, having a little bit bigger vein helps with that. But what you were saying, a bow out of tune, um, and this is where I want to really touch on this, a bow out of tune in your testing um, would still group with field points with relative accuracy is what you got. Is that correct? Yeah, it would. And I can give you a couple of examples. Like, the, So the test I do to test um, how far a bow is out of tune. Um, to, and I recommend people usually do this at 30 yards where you just cut the veins off the back um, or make the bare shaft without the veins on the back and then add some tape to get the weight the same. And then you shoot a bare shaft versus a flesh shaft um, with field points. Shoot those two together at 30 yards. And what happens, um, you know, if, you're, if your arrow comes out, say, tail left with the veins, it pretty, very quickly pulls right back and it, it'll go, you know, hit the bullseye without the veins on the back, your arrow will stay tail left as it's going down range. And it's going to, it's going to make it go right. And so you're going to, the arrow will say hit right. And it'll, if you're just shooting into foam, you can kind of see the angle that it was at as it flew through the air even. So the tip will be, the knock will be tail left, arrow will hit right. And um, the, the last university study we did with the, with the hooter shooter, that bow was hitting about eight inches right. Um, the bear shaft was hitting about eight inches right of the of the um, fletch shaft. So pretty pretty far out of tune, really. Um, and even with that, we were getting fixed heads, um, you know, ironwood broadheads and field points to hit within an inch of each other with a number of the number of veins that are you know point over point five tall you know, 0.55, 0.58, some are a little better than others. Um, with the shorter veins though, it doesn't correct very well. Um, I can go back to an experiment I did a couple years ago where I was about, I was about, um, a foot off at 40 yards. That's how much the bear, the tune is off. And with 
the taller veins like the annual hybrid hunter we're doing now, we could be still within one to two inches at 40 yards, field points to broadheads. But if you went down to a shorter vein that was about 0 0.38, 0 0.4 inch tall, there was an eight inch difference between field points and broadheads there. So it's, it's a huge difference. So I think um, a lot of people are going to these shorter target veins, even in four vein, you know, that was even in three fletch and four fletch. Um, the shorter veins don't do a very good job with six plate heads of, of quickly stabilizing it and bringing it back on target. Okay. So I, I'm going to add a little bit to this. So I would say where I would disagree with Bill on some of this would be at very high speeds. It makes it much more difficult, meaning a bow out of tune at an extreme high speed a vein, even a bigger vein, may not be able to stabilize as quickly a fixed blade broadhead. There may, after 290 to 300 feet per second, from my findings, that's been more difficult. And if the person just did not cut their arrow square, and the that's a big part of this. If your arrow, the concentricity or the run out or whatever, your components and your broadhead, everything is spinning true, it's a lot easier to get a bow that's a little bit out of tune to still group. But if your arrow is not spinning true, it becomes a bigger problem. That's been my findings. What do you agree with that? Disagree? Or what do you think on that? Yeah, I agree with both those points. Yep. The faster you go, you know, the more, um, the more force there is that wants to push it off. If when your arrows tipping around side to side and, also, um, yeah, this is with broadheads that spin true. If you've got broadheads that aren't spinning true on the front, then that, that amplifies the error for sure. Um, one thing I would add is that I, I to do some, um, to back up some of the university testing, I was also shooting all the veins they did just offhand with the bow um, that was just a little out of tune. It was hitting four to five, the bear shaft was hitting four to five inches right at 40. So, um, in my experience, I mean, it still looked okay through paper, which is kind of the base level of tune a lot of guys do. But um, it can it can shoot clean through paper at, say, 10, 12 feet, but still be off maybe four to five inches bare shaft or flush shaft. But I'd call that pretty good. Um, with that, with like the annual hybrid hunter vein and um, in particular and a few other of the higher profile, I was still hitting the same point of impact at 100 yards with fuel points and iron wheel like s125 broadhead so you can be a little out of tune and with the right vein on the back it really quickly and we looked at this with the high speed camera too it very quickly pulls it back on and just goes straight straight down range um but yeah having a broadhead that, that spins true so that once your arrow gets pulled back and it's going straight that it just keeps going straight um is this pretty important if you're if your broadhead's wobbling around out there it's just going to keep driving it out and it's going to open up your groups quite a bit with a fixed head so when i uh <clears throat> out yeah so after we did this podcast i got feedback from like yourself i won't mention some of the other uh you know companies or whatever that 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 had feedback with this and and it wasn't nobody was like super pissed it was more of a well kind of like what you're doing Maybe, but, you know, there's some other things to look at. So on the redeeming value of a fixed blade head, there's there's multiple, but I'm going to list what I have found the, you know, these aren't in order from import, least to most important, but these are the top five. Like, so for, for one, a mechanical will open in flight, right? A fixed blade will not. And when I say open in flight, depending upon what happens in your quiver when you pull your mechanical broadhead out, if the rubber band is uh, taken out of its where its normal seated place is or, or where the groove is, um, the rubber band gets old, you hit a branch, there's all kinds of other shit that can happen. That's a big problem. That would give the redeeming value to a fixed blade. The next one um, uh, it, it is the quiver, the noise. Um no matter what anybody says, most mechanicals rattle in the quiver. Even when you do foam, there's still a little bit of a rattling if you seat them in foam. So noise would be one uh, in the quiver, which is if you have OCD, that can drive someone really crazy. That's another one. Then the next one would be the reusable, the, the reality of reusing 
a head. Now, some of the cheaper fixed blade heads, this is kind of out the window. They're more disposable. I would say that Magnus is a good example of that's kind of a disposable. I mean, the broadhead will kill something. It's just, it's it's a one and done generally broadhead. Um, where with a higher end broadhead, not so much one and done. You sharpen them up, reuse them. Um, the next one is penetration. It, it cannot be argued. And this was something Cody Greenwood and I just talked about at great depth. Um, when he was getting all of his data for those who don't follow along with Cody, he's a, a brainiac, tons of data. He basically takes all this data, comes up with different points or whatever. Bill, That's more Bill's world. But one of the things he asked me to confirm on his study was he said, I'm finding that stick bows out penetrate compounds. And I said, yeah, I would agree, but there's a caveat to that. I zipped through far more animals with my stick bow than I did a compound. I don't tell anybody that because it's a mechanical I'm generally shooting out of a compound. And so I'm getting more pass-throughs with a stick bow and a fixed blade with not that big of a difference in arrow setups as far as total weight compared to my compound because of the momentum that gets sucked out of your arrow, basically, with um, with mechanical. And, Bill, you've done more studies with that, but it's... 80, 90, 100 plus pounds to open that mechanical broadhead at times. Some some are pushing 200 as I understand it. So penetration, when you have a shorter draw length, when you don't shoot as high of poundage, you know, so that that that's a big one. The bone splitting shit for me is kind of a joke. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't aim at the leg. Most people's setups are probably not going to split a leg bone or or the t- it's not what you want to rely on. So that part of it on the mechanical or fixed blade side of things not so much. But if you do clip the scapula um, and you're on the border of when you should or shouldn't be shooting a mechanical or a fixed, the fixed blade's going to win. It's going to go through that scap a lot more frequently, especially on smaller animals um, than a mechanical. So those are the, I think that was five. Those are the primary things I want people to look at. Now, where the redeeming value of mechanical is generally potentially bigger blood trails, um, you know, are, 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 you know, you're going to probably have a bigger um, hole depending upon what mechanical you're using and wind drift and tuning. Potentially you can shoot an untuned bow at fairly decent accuracy with a mechanical and compared to a fixed. Are you agreeing, disagreeing so far with what I'm saying? You got anything to add to any of that? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think that, um, you know, I actually came up with a list, and I think you named half of them, of maybe eight different potential failure modes that um, you wouldn't have with, say, a high-end broadhead, like um, you know, like an iron wheel, like a durable fixed blade head, um, cut on contact, good edge retention that maintains it. It's, it's not going to bend or break if it hits um, scapular rib bones, whatever, um, whatever kind of bones on a deer and out type animal. Um, so yeah, the ones you mentioned where it can open up in flight or open up on contact with grass or leaves or whatever it might be partway there or just before hitting the animal. Um, deflection is much, is much more likely as it's opening up and you can have an unbalanced force of one side versus the other side, depending on what it hits. If there's a rib there, whatever, you can get some deflection in the path. Um, they can, uh, sometimes they don't open up on impact. Um, you know, some of them are known more for this than others with mechanicals, but sometimes they can, they can open up and, and lock out, but then it gets with a little bit of force, it pops back. And then there's just a small hole through the animal. I've heard a lot of those stories this year. Um, and the, the blades on mechanicals, since they're, you know, trying to get a two inch cut, they're, they're long and thin, and so they're prone to bend and break. And, um, you know, if, when something, if a bone is, is bending um, or breaking, it's, it's sucking up a bunch of energy, and that's, that's going to reduce distance to go through. Also, if there's not a blade there to cut, it's not going to do as good a job of putting the animal down. Um, the blades are dull pretty easily because they're typically 46, 48 Rockwell C, so really soft. Um, so you get through that hide, and it's actually pretty dull. So they, um, yeah, they don't cut as much tissue. They just kind of push more tissue aside for that reason. And so, and I think what people should think about on a little bit about probability here, like, let's say, let's say there's eight different failure modes here and they're all like 
not that likely to happen. Let's say it's only like one in 20 that that would happen, like a 5% chance it would happen. But when there's eight of them, that's like a 40, you add those together in probability. That's, how, that's, that's the math there. So it ends up being a 40% chance of failure with that mechanical. If it's got like just a 5% chance of eight different things that could go wrong. Um, and you even added a couple more than I had. So that'd be 10, like 50% chance. There's one of these failures could show up on any, on any shot. Um, and, you know, people might argue, ah, they're not that bad, but, and that's kind of how probability works. If there's all these potential failure modes, even if there's a slight chance, you add all that together and yeah, a lot of, a lot of things go bad with them. And I think you can eliminate all those with a fixed plate head. So I kind of look at it. Why would you want to shoot something kind of weak and prone to failure when you can eliminate all those things with a durable kind of contact fixed head? And, and the reason why often is, is flight. People have problems getting to fly well. Um, so, you know, that's why I spent the last year on really with this university study is trying to get some good solid data that showed, hey, fixed place can't fly really well, even with a bow a bit out of tune with the right vein on the back with um, and the right arrows. I mean, your bow has to be um, somewhat tuned, not great, but pretty decent. And you have to have um, the right spine so you don't have excessive flexing and really just enough vein on the back. Um, and you know, some rotation to it, say two to three degree offset or helical, and you can do really well with, with fixed heads. Gotcha. Yeah. And you know, for people listening in, obviously like I, one of the cool things about having a podcast and then being friends with people like Bill or Tim or what, you get a lot of different perspectives. And I, you know, for, for me, obviously I'm a fan of both. Um, you know, we've talked, I've talked about this before, you know, going to, you know, um, a compound, obviously it, it, with my draw length and poundage and everything else, it, it does open more opportunities for me to shoot a mechanical. The, the thing that, that I really want to, to drive home with everything that we're talking about now, um, Bill brought up several good points on the redeeming factors and everything else. The other thing to think about while you're choosing, um, your, your, your broadhead, um, and and I want Bill your feedback on this. If you're only shooting to 30, 40, 50 yards, even 60, some of the things that I prefer on a mechanical over a fixed are out the window because some of the things are for longer distances. And with a wide broadhead, um, and I've, when I say that, I've I've focused on two more that two primary wide broadheads, which is yours and Rocky mountains shooting with a 2.6 inch hybrid or 2.75 driver vein, um, with wide broadheads. I did not have any issue out to that 50, 60 yards as far as getting them to hit point of aim, point of impact with my field tips. Um, at farther distances after that, it started to be a little bit more of a problem. And it wasn't a problem in the sense that the arrow doesn't come out of tune at that distance. It just drops more. You're wind drag. You're going to hit a little lower. Um, that was with a moderately, a moderate vein. A, a 2.6 is not, you know, two and three quarter vein is not a very long vein. That was with slight amount of offset, slight amount of helical. Um, no problem. So, one, Bill, has that been your findings or have you been able to reach out and touch them with your wide a little farther than that? Or was 60 where you started to see wind drag kind of come into play? Yeah, for me, 60 is about where I kind of draw the line. I don't really want to shoot the wides if I'm shooting further than that. But um, I agree with you, too, that on closer shots, like I don't I don't know why a whitetail guy would shoot a mechanical, really. If I look at the performance there versus a wide fixed head, Um because, you know, the shots on whitetails are typically under 40, really typically under 30. Um, you should have no problem getting a wide fixed head to fly well at that distance. Um, like you said, the veins you mentioned are about 0.5 inch high. I think 0.5 inch or higher, 0.55, 0.58 is even better. Um, and, you know, you, you get a bigger entrance hole, maybe, let's say, a two-inch cut entrance hole on a mechanical but with um, like our iron wheel wide, you get an inch of three eighths main blade, three quarter bleeder, so a two and an eighth inch total cut, and it's for sure going through. You know, shoulder blade, um, it's getting you that exit hole, that low exit hole, and and I know people argue will argue that oh, I just want that big two two inch cut entrance hole, um, and you know sometimes they 
often they do pass through completely and it's amazing and there's blood everywhere. And I think that's why some guys just want to shoot them. If like, you know, I don't know what it is. One out of four times they get amazing performance and they have the photos to show their buddies, like, look at all this blood, <laughs> but you know, often they don't get that exit hole. If they're going say stopping the offside shoulder, maybe even, or just it hit, hit something, you know, hit the edge of the shoulder blade, whatever they, where they don't get that exit hole. And um, versus having that exit hole low is going to give you a great blood trail. And also with a, you know, a durable, um, you know, a premium fixed blade, you're going to get, it's going to cut all the way through. Like the hide, the ribs, things aren't going to dull the iron wool blade, blades. They're going to stay sharp and slice everything all the way through, get you that, you know, max bleeding, uh, quicker kill generally. Um, also with that minimal force to pass through, you know, a lot of people say this when they shoot our heads, like animal didn't know what happened. It is, they zip through so fast with such little force that there's not much shock into the animal. They don't often, you know, I'd say probably eight out of the 10 last, eight out of 10 whitetails, um, the last whitetails I've shot have dropped in sight, you know, within 20, 30, 40 yards, just zips through. They know something happened. They don't go far because there's not much shock to it. And then they're, then they drop dead. Versus a mechanical, it's kind of like you punched them in the side. There's a lot of energy there to get through that hide. And it's, yeah, it's, it's it, you transfer over half the energy of the arrow. I'd say right there, you're going through the hide. And so it's a big impact. Um, so they're, they're running, they're, they're going, they're going a long ways. And if you just get a high entrance hole, no exit hole, you know, it can be difficult um, blood tracking there as well. Okay, yeah. Cody and I did actually talk about this a little bit on the, uh, you know, when the, the broad header arrow zips through, um, you know, with a fixed blade, uh, where with a mechanical, the shock, um, again, this is his data he has collected. Uh, and I almost was, it was double uh, the distance uh, on average the animal ran w- with an impact of a mechanical over a fixed because the fixed generally zip right through them. They don't always know what happened, which I, I, I totally can buy off on that. Um, when you shoot a rear deploying uh, mechanical, which is, you know, a lot of times you'll see the hole is actually even bigger than what the blades are. Cause it's kind of slapping, um, uh, a hole through it, which is where that momentum kind of gets lost is, is when that happens. So I'm sure that animal is feeling that at a multiplier of a hundred times more than a, a fixed blade. Yeah. The, um, you know, the points typically are often not that sharp. So they're stretching some hide. Um, as it's cutting and you can't get a bigger kind of cut through the hide for that reason. But yeah, there's a lot of tremendous amount of energy to go through. Um, you know, I was just talking to Derek Wolf. I was hanging out with him in Montana last week and he said that, um, you know, he's got a 80 pound draw, um, 80 pound bow, 33 inch draw. So, you know, close to double the energy of most guys. Um, he shot a mechanical at his elk last year and got very, you know, very, I think maybe said, look like it went in maybe six inches. Most of his arrow was sticking out this side of the elk. Um, and it did kill the elk, but he was like, I'm just going to shoot iron wheels from now on. Cause I want to, I want my own arrow to go through that elk. Um, you know, so with his energy, if he's only getting like a six inch on an elk, that's, uh, he's got double energy, most people. And I don't know what happened. Maybe just hit, hit centered on a rib hit. It was all ribs. He said it was behind the shoulder. So, um, but yeah, it makes me think there's a lot of guys that with that same shot wouldn't have got more than an inch penetration in that case. Yeah, who knows? And I I haven't talked to him about that or whatever. I, my my biggest thing with having you on or you know discussing this is for people to get is the best info uh, out there possible from both sides of the fence to make their own you know dis- decision on this. And 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 I don't again I don't really get too big into the. Uh, bone splitting, crazy FOC stuff. Cause I, I've, I've just seen some pretty massive, uh, including myself shooting fixed blades and some pretty crazy 90 plus pound bows. And most people are not going to go through a leg, um, for the most part on a elk specifically, a few people are going to, the scapula is a different story, especially with a fixed blade. You're going to get through that. The T of the scapula not happening, the knuckle, you know, every now and then I hear a story about somebody that, you know, did split a knuckle open, but that is by far the exception more than the rule. I'm looking more at the, 
realism of other issues that can happen. And and Derek, you said he only got how much penetration? We well, said most of his arrow was sticking out, you know, this side of the elk. So, um, but it killed it. So I can't remember if he said six or eight inches, something like that. But um, you know, not nearly what you think he he should for that kind of a setup. Yeah, yeah, no, he's pretty beastly. So, yeah, he's he's giant. Looks like a Viking. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think he's like um, he's six six three hundred pounds, something like that. But he's he's a big guy for sure. So with when um, when you know, and Tim, go ahead. I mean, what I was going to say on Tim is like, um, you know, I've said to Tim, well, what if, you know, I hit that scapula, hit bone um, on an elk, wouldn't you say a fixed blade head is better there? And he would say, well, no, that just means you made a bad shot. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, Tim's a hell of a shot. And I think people got to got to keep that in mind, too, that, um, you know, if the average guy is probably going to be more likely to maybe catch that shoulder blade, something like that. Whereas as the pros are probably better at picking the exact spot they want, where they know their, their arrow um, setup is going to work. Um, I do want to point out a couple of things that you said though, that kind of defy the laws of physics that we should point out. And, 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 you know, about the light arrow, I think he said it takes more energy from the bow um, than a heavier arrow. You know, that's, that's not really the case. And I'm not a super heavy arrow guy either. Um, I can see problems with both, both ends of the spectrum on the super light side and the super heavy side. But, um, we said it takes more energy from the bow and it wins the penetration test. Um, and then he went on to mention he shot lighter arrows in foam and heavier arrows and lighter arrows went in further. Well, really in foam, everything penetrates about the same. It's, um, it's more, directly related to the energy of your bow, which doesn't really change. So foam test is not a very good thing because the, the force to penetrate is pretty constant with velocity. And that's not the case in an animal, an animal. I believe that, um, you know, tissue and stuff acts more viscoelastic where the faster you try and put something through it, the more force it takes to drive through it. And that's why a heavier arrow, has some advantages in penetration because the more of that momentum is in mass than velocity and it's not gonna it takes less force to go through at a lower velocity um whereas at a higher velocity it's taking more force to go through and then you got you know less mass there so i can slow down a bit more so that's the same thing in flight you know the super fast arrows are going to have more velocity drop over distance in the smaller ones so you get more retained momentum with more mass, and, but it's not a huge factor. Um, it's not like, I think I calculated for myself or estimated, like if I go from 450 to 550 grains, probably getting somewhere in the neighborhood of a 10% increase in penetration. So it's not like, you know, doubling or three to one, like, um, you know, the, the real heavy folks will call out. Um, also in the transfer from the bow, most bows are very efficient now with lighter arrows. So it's not as big of a difference as it used to be. But you can do this for yourself. You can say so you got a chronic chronograph at home or, or just one have one at your bow shop. Just shoot a a lighter arrow setup and a heavier arrow through there and you'll you'll know the mass and the velocity and just do um you know, you can look at which one had more momentum coming out of there, just mass times velocity, which number's higher. Um or you can do one half MB squared, which one has more energy coming out of there. And what I've seen in general, heavier arrows continue to have, you know, a little increased energy and momentum, but it's only a few percent more that the heavier arrow gets. Um, the bow is a little more efficient with a lighter bow, you know, a lighter bow is, it's louder, right? So there's more energy lost to, to noise, vibration, friction, things like that. These are small losses, but there's more loss with the, lighter arrow. So I just want to point those out that it's not true. He said that a lighter arrow takes more energy from the bow and out penetrates. You know, that's not really true. I mean, maybe you saw it in one test, but it's probably because it was foam and, and, um, you know, there's probably other factors going on there. Yeah. I'm trying, I trying to stay out of the Joel, uh, Maxfield, uh, study, you know, where Tim, repeats he says that um you know that the light arrow wins every time that that has not been my experience um and i'm always in the happy medium um 
realm, right? Where I don't want to shoot too heavy or too light, just right in that right. intermediate. Um, I, I, <laughs> I can say from my own testing, and this is without a doubt, and I should film more of this, but if you go down that, like the, the full gambit of, of all this, and if I take, um, 246, 204 in a micro, and I set those all up identical, um, and I put fixed blades on all of them without a doubt, depending upon what you're shooting into that micro with a fixed blade is going to win to some degree. It's going to, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to out penetrate, but micro components generally aren't the best in the world unless you lose like a Snyder core, a glue in something like that. Then when you go to uh, the same test and you compare those same, let's say 480 grain arrows, we set them all up the same. Then we go to uh, the 480 grain arrows, identical to the others, but I have mechanicals on those. None of those are going to out penetrate the fixed, right? The mechanical is going to penetrate less. You do that test comparing all of that data and you drop, let's say, from a 480 grain arrow to a 400 grain arrow. I have not seen ever that 400 grain arrow out penetrating the uh, any of the other results with the heavier arrow ever. I've never seen that happen. Now, if you increase speed by an insane amount, so if I'm comparing a light arrow doing 280 feet compared to a light arrow doing 320, that might happen. But keeping everything equal, I never see one out penetrate. Did I make any sense of that? Did that make sense to you? And have you found the same thing or am I full of shit? No, I agree with you. And I think, I think people that have shot light and heavy in general see that. Um, and it's kind of, you know, with, with honey is so anecdotal, like this happened to me. And so you can't, it's hard to draw conclusions on one thing, but I think if you shoot number of animals over time and, it, it, and you think about how was I doing with the heavier arrow versus lighter arrow, I think most guys would probably say in general, heavier arrows given the more penetration. Um, and a Joel Maxfield study, um, he's a good guy. I, I uh, got a chance to, to talk to him for quite a while. Um, back at one of the shows in the past year and and, and uh, he, he just got his North American 29. He's an uh, Ironwood broadhead on his last uh, couple of animals. So that was pretty cool. Um, but his study, you know, was in foam. And what he saw is basically light arrows, heavy arrows have the same penetration in foam. Um, so therefore, why aren't we all just shooting light arrows? Um, and, and I think the deal there is that foam is just, like I mentioned before, has a fixed um, force to penetrate. Um, it's constant force. It doesn't increase with velocity. So it would just be in it. Yeah, I can do the math on it, show that, okay, yeah, it should penetrate the same. Um, and it should just be based on the energy uh, of your bow, which isn't really changing here. So um, I think his study was, um, was good, um, but it, you have to think that, okay, an animal might take more force to penetrate at the higher speed, and therefore you could get more penetration. But it, I think it was good to point out that um, there isn't like a, a certain mass that all of a sudden things are going to go twice as far through. It, it's an, there's an increasing benefit with mass and penetration, but there's also a decreasing trajectory. So it's a trade-off there. And so what I like to do is, or what I tell people that want to increase penetration, well, increase mass, you know, within the trajectory that you want. Just shoot a little heavier arrow. Look and see how much is dropping at distance. How much lower are you hitting if you add 25 grains or 50 grains? Um, decide for yourself if you're happy with that trajectory or not. And often for me, that ends up in an arrow that's maybe around 500 grains. Um, you know, 480 to 520 is what I've been shooting in pretty much every setup the last five years or so. Um, to me, I can still dial my bow out and shoot 120 yards at, at tack events, things like that. Um, and I get, I can get full pastures on elk at, at long distance, um, even if there's a shoulder blade involved. So why would I go heavier than that? You know, there's not really a need to. Yeah. And, and I, I, um, yeah, the happy medium and, and I, I, and forgiving, and this goes, I mean, whatever broadhead you shoot, but your, your specific arrow setup 
guys will really cheat the system to get more distance at times. And I say cheat the system. They're going to put smaller veins on, uh, may, may not have as much up front as, as they potentially could to buck the wind some. And so what I've tried to explain to, to people is, is would you rather shoot extremely accurate or, or a higher degree of accuracy out to 80 or 90 or shoot a, you know, wrist slapping, very, you know, um, unforgiving bow out to 115. You know, so for for me, I'm always going to choose the really accurate 80 to 90 than the not so accurate, um, you know, potentially whatever 110, 115. And that has to go with your arrow build, your fletching, your tune, everything else. So um, on the on the broadhead side of that, obviously, and we talked about this, there are there are going to be like Bill's obviously diehard fixed blade. Me, I'm more in the middle, and there's going to be other people diehard mechanical. And it's funny, anytime we post something to whether it's with you or Tim or whatever, I get tons of different emails and feedback. Same thing on my Q and A's. Um, I saw one post. Um, I can't remember exactly the spiel, but it was like I put all my fixed blade broadheads in a bottle, and I only shoot mechanicals now. Guy responded, well, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I put all my mechanicals away. And and I think what happens with any of this, a guy has a year uh, and he cannot get a fixed blade broadhead to tune. Now, he may not have the knowledge base to figure out why, but that leaves a scar on him. Like, screw fixed blades. Another guy may yep. love those mechanicals, but he hits something, the broadhead opens, he doesn't get the penetration he wants. Those are life-changing things that happen for people a lot. Would you, you see where I'm going with this, where people will base every decision they make after yeah. that off of that one instance? Yeah. You're always fixing your last failure, right? Whatever, especially if it's, if it's on an animal. Um, and I, I did the same thing, right? I had a broadhead fail to penetrate an elk shoulder blade in, uh, 2004. Um, so almost 20 years ago now. And you know, I lost sleep over that thing and it's just, what am I going to do to make it better? But, um, yeah, I think whatever was your last bad experience, um, tends to drive your, your next decisions. And, and, and yeah, on the, on the, it kind of depends on, you know, what's important to you on the arrow setup. Like I had a guy just come up to me at the show and he was shooting a FMJ with hundred grain head, 16 grain insert, um, very little target veins on the back. And, and he said, you know, your, your heads aren't shooting as tight as I'd like them to at hundred, hundred yards. What, what should I do here? Um, I'm like, well, add some, add some vein on the back, add some weight on the front. So you get higher FOC and it'll get, be a much more stable arrow. He's like, oh no, I don't want to change this arrow. I can shoot three inch groups at 80 yards with this. And I, you know, I'm a 3d target shooter and, um, man, this arrow is is money, man. I do not want to change his arrow at all. I'm like, well, you got to decide what's more important to you. You know, if you want to, are you a target shooter or are you a hunter? I mean, for me personally, all my decisions are based on, on hunting success, you know, performance out West, you know, big game hunting. That's all my decisions are based on. Um, but this guy didn't want to change, you know, his FO, his FOC was down under probably 7% or something like that. That's a heavy arrow. Um, so, you know, a heavy arrow with a light point, low FOC. So that means, and, you know, in rocket science, that means that the, the center of pressure is, is so close to the center of mass is pretty, is pretty unstable. So you put anything on the front of it, it's not a field point and it's not going to, it's not going to fly very well. Um, but, you know, it depends on what's, what's important to you. And I think that I just see so many target shooters, um, so many people following what the pro target shooters are doing where their mindset is primarily what's going to make me hit that 12 ring at 80 yards on unmarked, you know, a deer target out there. Yeah. And I mean, with that, again, like the happy medium, I think that, um, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of some of the, um, things I hear that, um, and I've had him on the podcast, uh, Troy, the, the ranch fairy dude, right. He's, um, in that 575, yeah. 550, 575 uh, grain or heavier arrow, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think that's needed. Well, I don't think. I fucking know that's not needed. I mean, I get to hunt a lot. I get to guide a lot. And I have a lot of friends, including you, that get to hunt a lot. The the problem is, is when you're when you're looking at some of this, and if your last experience was bad and you shoot a, I don't know, 425 grain arrow, again, that, that happy medium where Troy, some of the things he says that I don't um, agree with, Troy does not have enough experience out west to be promoting some of the things that he does. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Troy does good things for archery, but I would really like to see him in the cliffs at 12,000 feet on a backpack hunt on like day seven, um, where the deer was at 34 and then walks out and that arrow is really heavy. And maybe he'll pull that off. And maybe people that follow along with some of his teachings will pull that off, but a little more speed. Now you, you know, it's kind of like if Democrat and Republic, right? Anybody that's so far to the right or sort of so far to the left, they turn kind of wacko and I don't listen to you anyway. Tim's kind of on the one side of the spectrum. So he's so wacko. You don't really listen to everything he says because he's off the deep end on one side where Troy's kind of off the deep end on the other. I think. Yeah, I think that's, I think you should, that's worth pointing out too that um, yeah, guys like Troy were their whole world is inside at 20 yards. You know, he, he sets up for 15 yard shots on, on pigs and you know, what works there, you could use a spear there you could throw a spear there probably and it worked fine. It's, it's, it's much different. And I tell people this too, like when they ask, uh, well, what weight should I shoot? I want to get more penetration. I'll ask, well, what distance do you want to shoot? And if they tell me it's going to all going to be under 30, I'm like, go as heavy as you want. You don't need trajectory for that little bit of distance. Um, and so, yeah, I think you know, guys like Troy and others that are just setting up for these really close shots and giving people advice based on that, that's typically bad advice for anybody who wants to come out in the mountains and hunt mule deer, you know, antelope, elk, something where you where being very accurate with broadheads out to 60 yards can greatly increase your odds of success. Um, pretty much you don't want to listen to those guys at all because all the, all the, you know, 650 grain threshold, um, going from 19 to 23% FOC will give you 30 more penetration. Um, uh, those aren't true by the way. Anyways, they don't really agree with science, but a lot of people hear those and, and apply those and they're going to have pretty poor trajectory, um, you know, out in the distances they're going to want to shoot out West probably. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, some people hear what they want to, I'm not bashing Tim or Troy, I'm just stating facts. And, and when I say facts, a slow arrow drops a lot compared to a faster arrow. And there are certain situations that I've been in as well as, you know, how it is calling in elk. A lot of times you'll draw, they'll see you, they'll bound out 40 or 50 yards, stop broadside. You may not have a chance to range them where the difference of three to five yards with a decently speedy setup isn't, you're still going to get a kill where if, you know, if you're lobbing a log down there, you're probably, you know, going to shoot under it or over it. And those are all things to take into consideration with your arrow build, your broadhead choice, your vein configuration, all of that. Those are all things to take into, you know, consideration. And again, I'm glad I have the podcast to be able to, you know, Tim was on, you're on, um, you know, and, and talk about these things. Cause I think people are, by the time it's all said and done, people are smarter at the end of it, learning what everybody has to say. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm friends with Tim and with Troy, and these are all things I say to their face too. Right? <laughs> and it's, I, we're all trying to promote the sport of archery and bow hunting. Um, although ranch Ferry is actually more of a fisherman than a bow hunter. Just ask him, they'll tell you that. <laughs> but um, you know, these are, these are friends and we're all trying to, make people better at bow hunting. I just, I have different opinions than, than those guys do. And, um, and I think people should hear, you know, hear all sides, make their own decisions there for sure. Um, but one, you know, one other thing you mentioned, uh, we talked about was sound and I've got some more recent data from the university of Colorado study too, that I think that's worth, worth touching on. You know, he, Tim said he liked the short vein, higher speed, um, well, he liked the shorter vein for sound reasons. And in general, that's true. A taller vein will, will have a little more noise to it. Um, although I'd argue if you're shooting, you know, 320 feet per second like him, your bone noise and your arrow noise are going to be, I'm not sure that you're bet any better off than you would be. I think you're, I think you're worse off actually because of the bone noise. And then just that with the arrow at that speed is louder than a little slower moving arrow. Um, 
even with the high vein, it, I actually want to do that study now to see like 320 at, with a shorter vein versus 280 at the higher vein. Um, I don't know that a taller vein is going to be any louder in that case. But what we saw from the study that was really interesting, um, I had the students take data at 10 yards from the animal. So what we saw is at the shot, we, you could see this bone noise was very high. And that bone noise continued, that kind of noise vibration from the bow continued when the arrow was like five to 10 yards downrange away from the bow is when, is when that bone noise kind of quieted out. So it, initially, it just a loud bone noise and then some ringing there. I mean, this happens instantaneous for us, but so the arrow's moving downrange and then it gets really quiet. So I had them taking, um, looking at when the arrow was 10 yards from the animal um, with all these different veins, with field points, broadheads, you know, could we distinguish one louder than the other? And at 10 yards from the animal, there was no, it was not statistically significant. There was no, um, no statistically significant difference between um, iron wheel field points and, and S125 broadheads um, or any of the veins. It was all kind of down in the noise. You couldn't really distinguish one from the other. That's 10 yards away. When you got to be that last five, so like zero to five yards away, that's when we could measure um, statistically significant differences from one vein to the next. That's when we saw, actually, we didn't really see much difference at all with the broadhead versus field point. The veins dominated there. So um, arguing that a fixed blade is louder than a mechanical, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. Um, arguing that a taller vein is going to make an, make an animal get out of the way or a shorter vein wouldn't. I know that's said a lot out there, but I don't think the data supports it. I think it's really hard to tell by eye or, you know, in a video or whatever. Um, but my current theory is the bone noise is fairly loud. The animal looks in the direction of the bone noise. Maybe they catch, you know, visually see the person moving. Maybe they see the arrow coming towards them. Um, and they start moving. I think as it gets closer, when it's really close, it's loud, but it's when it's five, you know, five feet away, that's, that's like, that's like 0.05 seconds. There's not a lot of time there. I don't think it can move it in that last few yards before, before impact. So anyway, that's fairly new sound data that I had. I wanted to, to give that information because you hear that differently a lot out there. You hear like not the bone noise, the animals moving from the arrow noise. Uh, I'm not so sure it isn't just the bone noise. They look that way. And then they're maybe visually picking up on something that's making a move. I'm not saying there's zero arrow noise. I'm just saying it's pretty quiet compared to what else is going on. And there's not much difference, um, you know, in a vein that we would say is 30% louder than another vein right at impact. When it's 10 yards away, it's hard to distinguish those two veins. Gotcha. And I, I would say it is, I would agree with pretty much everything you were saying. And, and when I say that, um, it is yeah, occasionally there are going to be certain things that are far louder than the rest of the group, right? And when I say that, meaning I agree with you to a certain point of there are some veins that are just loud that that are easier for me to pick from. And but for the most part, everything. Um, what am I trying? Th there's one specific vein that I'm not going to mention that I think you know what I'm talking about, dude. That thing I don't see. I mean, anything a deaf deer would hear that vein, but for the most part, I would I would agree with you that there's not that much difference. Now, would you agree or disagree with that? Because there's like one or two veins that are just freaking loud, like for in my testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right there. Um, I think fe feathers are so much louder than veins. Um, we didn't include them in this latest university test, but the last testing I did, you could see it all the way from the shot. Like that arrow was loud the whole way with those feathers. Um, I don't think people maybe realize that so much. And then... We also tested this, um, that max, that hunter profile in three different stiffnesses. We tested it down in the trad vein material, which was very, very flexible. And, at the, and we were shooting 20 feet per second. So that tall of a vein in that um, flexible, that super flexible material just buzzed. And I've got some video of those, of those veins fluttering side to side the whole way down we took with a high-speed camera. And that was a loud buzz, like the whole way. Um, and I would say there's some bent, you know, our original V100 broadheads, they have more of a shish to them. And 
and you know that would show up a little bit more um like when i say our fixed blade versus the field point we couldn't pick up a difference well we could with the original v series that last five yards was louder um than a, than a solid blade um and then there's some other broadheads out there that and some of the loudest ones aren't actually vented it's just the geometry at the back of the head where there's some there's some flats or some things where the flow doesn't go very smoothly over it that I think creates a buzz. So there are some heads out there that are super loud as well. Um, and it's just because, you know, I don't think there's any fluid dynamic modeling done on those things to see what was happening with that airflow across it. No, no, that makes sense. And I honestly, I think some of the, the different vein profile, well, I don't think that some of the different vein profiles out there are just far more, um, susceptible to, to noise than, than others. Um, and, and, and that's just how it is. I mean, in, and maybe, um, someone might see a higher degree of accuracy with one vein over another and that, that specific vein might be louder. Um, I have not found that. I, I have not ever found a reason to shoot a loud vein, I guess is what I'm getting at there. There, I have not found that, I, I had a loud vein for some reason or another that grouped so much better than a different alternative. It was worthwhile. I, I, I haven't, but there are some really loud options out there as far as veins go. And again, like you said, the louder we were talking earlier, the faster the bow generally the, or the arrow, the louder the bow. And when you have the combination of, of the arrow coming at it alert now that the bow went off, I mean, I think it's highly overlooked anymore to have a really quiet bow, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, that, that's a good point, too. And in the study, we took most of the data at 280 feet per second. And personally, I feel like if you're over 290, you're probably better off just adding some mass, getting more penetration. Um, you know, because going up over 290, up to 300 plus, it's they're going to be harder to tune. And a fast light arrow, you know, all the negative I said about it, it's going to slow down more. It's going to probably penetrate less. Um so if you're going that screaming fast, why not just add a little bit more mass? Um, now, if you're say 285, 290 feet per second with more mass, I think you're way better off in a hunting situation than you are at something um, a little bit faster than that. Because it's yeah, your bow is going to be louder, your your arrow is going to be louder um, as well. I don't think people think about that as much, and I may have to include that. And in, we're going to do another study in the next year to really look more at the fine details of the different geometries on the vein and try to understand better what's, what creates um, more drag and more sound. Um, but we've learned a few things there already. Um, my goal there would be, you know, it's probably going to be another year or so out, but to have um, a vein that had, you know, equal or better accuracy stability, but yet drop the sound down significantly. Um, even though I don't think like from this study, it showed like at 10 yards, it, they can't hardly hear a difference. Um, at the same time, why not make it quieter if you can? Why not minimize what that deer feels and hears as that arrow, you know, zips through them and just not leave them standing there to, to drop dead in front of you, more or less. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, well, we're getting close to an hour here. Is, uh, is there anything else you want to cover? Um, and then also, too, we're, I'm horrible about this just because I, I never think we've talked so much and everything else kind of list off what everything you offer on the website, um, you know, for people. Cause I, you know, one of the things I was talking to a guy recently, cause I'm shooting pro comps and, uh, you know, the components are not great for those. So obviously, you know, I shoot severs, I work with Easton. Um, but I, you know, I use your components as much as possible. Um, and I have one bow set up with the pro comps and I have another bow set up with the, uh, access, the, the 300, your arrows base. I got them from you with your veins. The, Pro comps I have for all my my practice arrows. I, I'm using your, um, you know, basically the deep six system with your collar, just because of those half ounce bend really easy. Um, but I don't. Sometimes people don't think outside of the box like that. Like obviously, as long as the weight up front is the same, depending upon you know component wise, you don't have to have everything exact. As long as that weight up front is the same, I don't think you'll notice it. But anyway, kind of go tell everybody what all you offer. Yeah, we offer um, broadheads, of course. We have original V-series, which is a vented, then our S-series, which is solid blade. Um, both those are double bevel. And then uh, and then we came with our wide series, um, 
which is that two and eighth inch total cut. Those are all double bevel. And then a couple years ago, so many, there's so much interest in the single bevel. We, um, I did a lot of development testing on a single bevel version. So we offer now our single bevel in um, right and left with and without bleeders. And our most recent is a, is a wide single bevel um, for the people that wanted that. But we also offer components. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the hit system because your broadhead shank aligns to the ID of the arrow and it's pretty much guaranteed it's going to spin true, which is very important for, uh, as we talked about, good long range flight with, with fixed blade heads in particular. Um, the weakness there was just the, the carbon out front of the hit insert not being supported. So, um, and I licensed the hit insert from Easton so I could make a lot of high strength materials as well. And then add this impact collar over it. So it's a sleeve with a little flange on the front that goes over the arrow, overlaps the hit, really, um, really strengthens that. And, you know, it builds that strength down into the arrow. So it, it does so much better on imp side impact than say at house or, or at half out where your broadhead is out actually about an inch in front of the arrow and you get this um, lever arm kind of that's going to make it more likely to bend. So I was just at, a, at the tack event and everybody was shooting half outs or outsers. I was having them, I was grabbing one of the arrows and putting it on an arrow spinner and, and there's a lot of them that are wobbling and people don't realize that, but just shooting, just shooting into a hard spot on a 3D target often will bend those aluminum half outs and outserts. Um, and then your bra is not going to fly well. And so um, anyway, we, we do those components. We originally did them for the 204 system, and we still do. But we also did them for the micro diameter. So the 4 millimeter, 165, 166. And we offered two systems there, um, Deep 6 or what you and I worked on, which we call our Snyder Core system, which is... They both have a, a shank diameter that's that four millimeter, but um, a deep six has about a three tenths of an inch shank before you get into the threads. And the Snyder core system has about an inch long shank before you get into threads so that you can do, you know, two, two and a half inches of solid core. That's really the strongest setup you can get, I think, at a four millimeters, that solid core with the impact collar over it. You know, with our components, deep six works really well too. I think deep six got a bad, got a bad rep in the industry um, that they weren't strong enough, but a lot of people's ferrules were aluminum or a softer steel. And, you know, with a deep six hit insert without a collar and aluminum, um, that does bend super easy. But I think if you go to our materials like a grade five titanium or hardened steel with an impact collar over it, um, you know, James Yates has been shooting that for years, Tony Treach, we got a lot of good long range shooters and hunters that, that just love that system. And it's, and it works well with, with our components. So I think we offer like 15 models of deep six heads, um, 125, 150 grain. So I, I'm going to support that forever. Um, you know, Easton has kind of gone away from it, doing more half outs with their, with their arrows. Um, as I guess you, when you buy them, you get half outs now instead of deep six hits, I believe for their four millimeter. But I think the, the deep six hit system is better than half outs or outsource. So I'm going to continue to support that, um, go forward. We do, let's see, we also, we, um, offer arrows now. So through this university study, um, this, this hybrid hunter vein performed the best overall. And I got AE to make that for us exclusively. So we sell this, you know, iron wool hybrid hunter vein now on our website, you can buy just a 40 pack of those or um, worked with Easton to get them machine fleshed at a three degree um, helical. So we offer those in full length shafts. Um, also worked on a machine, it's basically a machining center and I have a machinist doing it, but we'll custom um, cut in a square. So I've always wondered this for myself, like have a machinist chuck, chuck up that arrow, each arrow individually in a machining center, precision cut it and then face it using a, a facing tool perfectly square both ends knock end and and the, you know the point end and and it makes a big difference on the knock end. i don't think people realize this a lot of people are cutting both ends but they're doing kind of a hack job and now all that force going through the string into the knock is pushing off center on one and maybe on their side on the other and your flight's not going to be repeatable so squaring um the knock end is really important and you can do this yourself but it takes a long time to to square an arrow very well with the squaring tool. Um, and then often the results aren't that great. Um, 
but anyways, we, we offer that now if you want. We will custom cut to your length, square both ends, and sell all the components. So we sell that custom arrow build now too. And that's uh, surprising how many people want that versus just a full-length flat shaft. It surprised me how much more we're selling at a full custom build. But um, we offer that. And other than that, um, a couple of ultralight hunting knives that weigh like about an ounce um, about an ounce and a half with a handle or an ounce in the paracord. And we've got some pack attached sheets now um, where kind of worked with you guys to figure out how could I clip into all the different molly webbing and places on the pack. So we offer those ultralight knives too. Gotcha. Well, cool. Um, well, man, I, I appreciate you hopping on uh, here as always and, uh, you know, the support for me and Kafaro and everything else. So, um, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I think you guys are head, you're heading with my my crew's heading with your whatever you want to look at it um, to Alaska here pretty soon. So when I get back from BC, we'll have to uh, report back and fill each other in on the trip. Yeah, we're repeating that uh, caribou hunt up in the up in the Brooks Range. So really getting excited. That's only about we leave in about a month here, so that'll be here before we know it. Yep, for sure. So, well, cool. Well, if I don't talk to you, good luck up on good luck on that trip. And uh, yeah, we'll whatever we'll link up when I get back from mine as well. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. If you guys want to see more of the data on that arrow, um, arrow or the CU study or anything we got going on there, um, arrowoutfitters dot com is our website. Cool, right on. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. Whether your hunting passion is western big game, midwest whitetail, sheep hunting, waterfowl, upland, or a mix of everything, Black Ovis is where you'll find hunting gear that performs and stands up to the demands of your hunt. If it's not a piece of hunting gear we'd use, it doesn't belong on Black Ovis. We earn your loyalty with wicked and fast free shipping, unmatched customer service, hunting gear and field knowledge, and a selection of hunting supplies that is the envy of any hardcore hunter. Black Ovis is your home for solid hunting gear. Give us a call or check out the website at blackovis.com and use the code KAFARUCAST10 on your next order to save yourself 10% off your purchase.